0: Victims' Rights, Chapter 16, Binding the State Ye shall observe to do, therefore, as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. Deuteronomy 5:32. This law was given to all of Israel, to resident aliens, members of the civil covenant, and judges. There is to be no wavering in obedience to God's law. Biblical law is clear. Its punishments are clear. God restrains evil men through the lawful sanctions specified in his law. Men are supposed to restrain themselves in terms of the specifics and principles of God's law. The straight and narrow gate, Matthew 713 14 is the gate of God's revealed law. Men are not to depart from it. This restriction applies above all to law enforcement officers who represent God judiciously to mankind in their capacity as civil magistrates. They must judge righteously, meaning in terms of his law, precisely because they are God's ministers. Romans 13.4 The state's authority to impose vengeance is limited. This authority is too easily abused, for the state has a legal monopoly of violence. All monopolies are easy to abuse. The legal monopoly of violence is the easiest to violate. The officers of the civil government, fearing no one below them, readily overstep their authority. The state has often been seen as divine because it possesses the legal authority and ability to impose the death penalty and other major punishments. What the Bible presents as a limited, derived sovereignty, men have defined as an ultimate, original sovereignty. To combat this false interpretation, biblical law restrains the officers of the state by imposing strict limitations on their enforcement of law. It is God's law that must be enforced, and this law establishes criteria of evidence and a standard of justice. This standard is an eye for an eye. A popular slogan in the modern world promotes a parallel judicial principle: the punishment should fit the crime. The punishment should fit the crime. Why should the punishment fit the crime? What ethical principle leads Western people to believe that the Islamic judicial practice of cutting off a pickpocket's hand is too severe a punishment? After all, this will make future pickpocketing by the man far less likely. Why not cut off his other hand if he is caught and convicted again? People who have grown up in the West are repelled by the realization that such punishments have been imposed in the past and are still imposed in Muslim societies why this repulsion because they are convinced that the punishment exceeds the severity of the loss imposed on the victim by the thief proportional restitution the bible teaches that the victim must have his goods restored twofold exodus 22:47 4, fourfold for stealing a sheep or fivefold for stealing an ox, Exodus twenty two one. The sevenfold restitution of Proverbs six hundred thirty one appears to be a symbolic statement regarding the comprehensive nature of restitution. The hungry thief who is destitute and who steals food must repay all the substance of his house, meaning that what little he owns is forfeited when the normal twofold restitution payment is imposed. A rich man who steals bread would not be made destitute by a twofold payment. The poor thief has to pay to the limits of his wealth, despite his extenuating circumstances, while the rich thief who steals for the love of evil doing is barely touched financially. In short, the law plays no favorites. It does not respect persons. The perverse rich thief is not required to pay any greater percentage than the impoverished thief. The sevenfold vengeance of God against anyone who might persecute Cain is another example of the language of fullness, Genesis 4:15). It means full judgment. Christ's words in Matthew 18 also indicate fullness. Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Verses 21 through 22. Seventy times seven is hyperbolic language. Seventy times fullness means totality. Such forgiveness is not to be forgiveness apart from biblical restitution, however. The principle of forgiveness is not to be used to subsidize evil. The passage on restitution in Leviticus 6 indicates that if the thief turns himself in before the authorities identify him as the thief, he must restore the principal Leviticus 6.4, and must also add a 20% payment, a double tithe, presumably because of the false oath, Leviticus 6.5. The restitution is equal to the value of the item stolen, and the penalty is one-fifth of this. Productivity and Dominion The Bible does not teach that a convicted man's future productivity should be utterly destroyed by the judges, except in the case of capital crimes. The Dominion Covenant imposes a moral obligation on all men to labor to subdue the earth to the glory of God. A man whose body has been deliberately manipulated probably will become a less productive worker. He may find it difficult to earn enough wealth to repay his debt to the victim. By cutting off the pickpocket's hand, the state is saying that there is no effective regeneration in life, that God cannot restore to wholeness a sinner's soul and his calling. Because he is a convicted pickpocket, he must be assumed to be a perpetual thief by nature. Therefore, the state must make his future labor in his illegal calling less efficient. His hand is not being cut off because his victim lost a hand, it is being cut off simply as an assertion of state power and as a deterrent against crime. The liberal Bible scholar Hans Jochen Boecker correctly observes that the intention of the Talian was not therefore to inflict injury, as it might sound to us today, but to limit injury. But then he gets everything confused. He says that this law restrained the institution of blood revenge. He never bothers to apply this principle of restraint to the modern state. The Bible teaches that the excessive penalties imposed by the state violate a fundamental principle of biblical obedience, both personal and civil. Ye shall observe to do, therefore, as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, Deuteronomy 5.32. Conclusion. Neither is the state to cut off the pickpocket's right hand or his left. The punishment should benefit the victim. Societies that are not governed by biblical law do not place the proper emphasis on the principle of economic restitution. The concern of the judicial system becomes punishment of the criminal rather than restitution to the victim. W. Cleon Skousen, a lawyer and former law enforcement official, has described the prevailing situation. Under modern law, fines are almost invariably paid to the city, county, or federal government. If the victim wants any remedy, he must sue for damages in a civil court. However, as everyone knows, by the time a criminal has paid his fines to the court, he is usually depleted of funds or consigned to prison where he is earning nothing and therefore could not pay damages even if, if his victim went to the expense of filing a suit and getting a judgment. As a result, modern justice penalizes the offender, but does virtually nothing for the victim. In later stages of the development of humanism, state officials begin to substitute the shibboleth of rehabilitation for punishment, although the form this rehabilitation takes makes the state's officers even more arbitrary than before. Biblical law restrains the arbitrariness of the state's officers. If the punishment must fit the crime, then the judges do not have the authority to impose lighter judgments or heavier judgments on the criminal. The victim decides the penalty, not the judge. The criminal is to be given sufficient freedom to repay the victim, even if he must be sold into indentured servitude for a specific period of time in order to raise sufficient funds to pay off the victim. As a servant, he learns the discipline of work and perhaps sufficient skills to give him a new calling and a new life when his debt is paid. But the debt is always to a private party, to the victim originally, and the slave owner secondarily. Where a specific victim is involved and can be identified, the debt is not owed as a fine to the state. It is owed to the victim. The man who causes a premature birth in which the baby is not harmed nevertheless pays a fine to the family because of the risk to which he subjected the pregnant woman and her child. Fines should compensate victims. This should not be understood as an argument against fines to the civil government for so-called victimless crimes. For example, a person is prohibited from driving a car at 70 miles an hour through a residential district or school zone. There are potential victims who deserve legal protection. The speeding driver is subjecting them to added risk of injury or death. Clearly, it is more dangerous statistically for children to attend a school located near an unfenced street on which drivers are traveling at 70 miles an hour rather than 25. The imposition of a fine helps to reduce the number of speeding drivers. Because they increase risks to families, drivers who exceed the speed limit can legitimately be fined since the victims of this increased statistical risk cannot be specified. These fines should be imposed locally, to be used to indemnify future local victims of unsolved hit-and-run incidents. The state is not to use fines to increase its operating budget or increase its control over the lives of innocent citizens. The state is to be supported by tax levies so that no conflict of interest should occur between honest judgment and the desire to increase the state's budget. The proper use of fines is the establishment of a restitution fund for victims of crimes whose perpetrators cannot be located or convicted, analogous to the Old Testament sacrifice of the heifer when a murderer could not be found, Deuteronomy 21, 1-9. Such a fund is a valid use of the civil law. Even if law enforcement authorities are unable to locate and convict a criminal, the victim still deserves restitution, just as God deserved restitution for an unsolved murder in Israel in the form of a sacrificed heifer. A reasonable way of funding such a restitution program is to collect money from those who have been successfully convicted by law enforcement authorities. Hayaks: Three Principles Lex telionis binds the state. This so-called primitive principle keeps the state from becoming arbitrary in its imposition of penalties. Citizens can better predict in advance what the penalty will be for a specific crime. This is extremely important for maintaining a free society. The three legal foundations for a free society, Hayek argues, are known general rules, certainty of enforcement, and equality before the law. I argue that the principle of eye for eye preserves all three. 1. General Rules First, with respect to general rules, Hayek writes that these rules must distinguish private spheres of action from public spheres, which is crucial in maintaining freedom. What distinguishes a free from an unfree society, is that in the former each individual has recognized private sphere clearly distinct from the public sphere, and the private individual cannot be ordered about, but is expected to obey only the rules which are equally applicable to all. It used to be the boast of free men that so long as they keep within the bounds of the known law, there was no need to ask anybody's permission or to obey anybody's orders, It is doubtful whether any of us can make this claim today. If men must ask permission before they act, society then becomes a top-down bureaucratic order, which is an appropriate structure only for the military and the police force, the sword. The Bible specifies that the proper hierarchical structure in a biblical covenant is a bottom-up appeals court structure, Exodus 18. Adam was allowed to do anything he wanted to do in the garden, with only one exception. He had to avoid touching or eating the forbidden fruit. He did not have to ask permission to do anything else. He was free to choose. The biblical principle of legal freedom is to govern all our decisions. This is stated clearly in Jesus' parable of the laborers who all received the same wage. Those who had worked all day complained to the owner of the field. The owner responded, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? Matthew 20:13 13-15 Neither the owner nor the workers had to get permission in advance from some government agency. God leaves both sides free to choose the terms of labor and payment. Because God alone is omniscient, He controls the world perfectly. Men, not being omniscient, must accept judicial restrictions on their own legitimate spheres of action. In doing so, they acknowledge their position as creatures under God. They must face the reality of their own limitations as creatures. They must not pretend that they can foresee the complex outcome of every activity of every person in society. The complexity of life is too great. Men can only make guesses about the consequences of human action. To bring the greatest quantity of accurate knowledge to bear on society at any point in time, men must be allowed great latitude in their personal decision-making. This division of intellectual labor is what provides society with the best available knowledge at a price people are willing to pay for. If men pretend that a committee of experts can plan for an entire economy, they have pretended to be divine. Hayek is correct. The demand for conscious control is therefore equivalent to the demand for control by a single mind, he goes on to argue. Indeed, any social processes which deserve to be called social in distinction from the action of individuals are almost ex-definitine not conscious. Insofar as such processes are capable of producing a useful order which could not have been produced by conscious direction, any attempt to make them subject to such direction would necessarily mean that we restrict what social activity can achieve to the inferior capacity of the individual mind. Worse, in a socialist society, we restrict what social activity can achieve to what a responsibility-avoiding, government-protected committee can achieve. By decentralizing decision-making within a system of known rules and by allowing a competitive system of market-imposed rewards and punishments, society preserves individual freedom, individual and corporate productivity, and personal responsibility. This decentralized decision-making process is what is established by the profit management system. The principle of eye for eye is easily understood. It allows people to evaluate in advance their potential liabilities for actions that inflict physical harm on others. This encourages personal responsibility. It also encourages people to make accurate assessments of potential costs and benefits of their actions. This is the biblical principle of counting the cost, Luke 14:28-30). It is basic to biblical liberty that individuals count the cost of their behavior. 2. Legal Predictability Second, there is the crucial issue of legal predictability. There is probably no single factor which has contributed more to the prosperity of the West than the relative certainty of the law which has prevailed here. He makes a very important point in this regard. The certainty of law is important, not just in cases that come before the courts, but also in those cases that do not lead to formal litigation because the outcome is so certain. It is the cases that never come before the courts, not those that do, that are the measure of the certainty of the law. In the United States, there is seemingly endless litigation, precisely because of the unpredictability of the courts. Men go into the courts seeking justice because they do not know what to expect from the courts. If they knew what to expect, fewer people would bother to litigate. They would settle out of court or perhaps even avoid the original infraction. The law of God establishes the eye-for-eye principle. Men can assess in advance what their punishment is likely to be if they transgress the law. They can count the potential cost of violence. This is a restraining factor on all sin. A person can imagine the cost to his potential victim of losing an eye or a tooth. If convicted, the criminal will bear a comparable cost. Rulers must be aware that the Lex Talionis Principle is not simply limited to crimes by private citizens. Judgments fall on nations, both blessings and cursings, Judges, Jonah, Lamentations. The list of promised national cursings in Deuteronomy 28, 15-68 is a detailed extension of the list of promised blessings in verses 1-14. When nations defy God in specific ways, they will be judged in specific ways mirror images of the promised blessings to covenantally faithful nations. Instead of going out in war, a national endeavor, not private, and scattering their enemies, they will go out to war and be scattered by their enemies. Instead of lending to their enemies, they will become debtors to their enemies. The principle of eye for eye is essential to all of life. From him to whom much has been given, much is expected. Luke twelve forty seven through 48 3. Equality before the law The third requirement of true law is equality. Equality before the law, as Albright has said, is reinforced by the eye-for-eye principle. The rich man, as well as the poor man, wants to avoid the loss of an eye or a tooth. Therefore, the rich man, like the poor man, must avoid inflicting such injuries on other people. There must be equality before the law. Leviticus 19.15 The judges must not impose a tooth's worth of punishment for an eye's worth of damage just because the convicted person is rich or famous. People can then trust the law and the courts, for they know that the law is being enforced because God is sovereign over the affairs of men. The law does not become a weapon of oppression to be used by one class over another. The law, to use Marxist terminology, is not to become a superstructure, which is built on the foundation of an economic substructure. The law of God is the substructure in terms of which the economy, the political order, and the pattern of society develop. Thus, the general legal principle of eye for eye in the imposition of civil punishments is a crucial foundation of human freedom, for it binds the civil government in advance. Hayek's discussion is very useful for understanding the state-binding purposes of the lex talionis. There are three legal principles that undergird a free society, he argues. General legal rules that 1. distinguish private from public spheres of action. 2. provide legal predictability. And 3. provide equality before the law. The judicial principle of lex talionis supports all three. Conclusion The biblical principle of an eye for an eye protects society from a lawless state which recognizes no limitations on its power. This law establishes the fundamental judicial principle that the punishment should fit the crime. This principle, sometimes called lex talionis, requires that the criminal pay back to the victim whatever was stolen, and in some cases an additional penalty payment is required. There is no doubt that this law is based on vengeance, but vengeance is a basic principle of biblical law. God extracts a vengeance payment from evildoers. Perfect vengeance at the day of judgment and imperfect vengeance through the civil government. Vengeance is a form of restitution to God. The fundamental goal of biblical law is restitution evil people are able to be restored by god to righteousness the state cannot save mankind but it can impose external punishments that make social and economic restoration possible restitution by the criminal to the victim is an effective way of restoring wholeness to both parties it upholds a basic principle of civil law the punishment should benefit the victim prisons are a second best system of punishment they keep hardened criminals off the street But they do very little for the past victims. While they should eventually be emptied, except for holding suspects for trial at the local level, this would be too risky before all three biblical sanctions are restored to civil law. The death penalty, corporal punishment, and economic restitution.